I saw this disconnect that so much of what the scripture had to say about spiritual warfare uh, and the reality of, of day-to-day living wasn't being addressed. And so for me, in, in, the, in the combination of my experience and my study, the Lord really began to show me things about uh, daily spiritual warfare and the understanding that is necessary to walk in victory. Welcome, everyone. Today, we welcome back to the podcast, Dan McLeod. He is an evangelist and church planter that has ministered around the world. And if you want to hear a bit of his story, check out episode 55. In this episode, we have a powerful conversation about spiritual warfare that is sure to challenge your perspective on day-to-day life. Make sure to share this episode with a friend because I believe this is a conversation that we all need to be having. We are closing in on 2,000 subscribers on YouTube, and we are really enjoying the community that we are building over there. We received this comment from Malachi about our most recent episodes with Dr. Vonnie Marshall. He said, Thank you so much for this series. So nice to see an apostolic podcast that will talk about mental health. Thank you for your comment, Malachi, and for listening. We're just so grateful that Dr. Marshall has chosen to collaborate with the podcast and we are more than happy to provide a platform for her for her godly wisdom. You may be listening, but not following. Following us is the best way to stay connected and not miss an episode. To follow us on Apple Podcasts, look to the top right for the plus sign. On other platforms, just select follow. Also, we want to encourage you to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It really does help get the podcast out to more people who can be blessed by it. Now, let's get to the conversation. Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you back on. Thank you. It's my honor to be back with you again. If uh, you all haven't heard uh, his story, we we had Brother Dan McLeod on uh, last year on the podcast. And um, it was kind of a bit of a hybrid one where we talked a bit about your story I, mean, I think we spent the first half talking about that, and then the second half we talked about a sermon that you had preached recently, which was mm-hmm. uh, really good. I think you were one of my last audio-only episodes, so last time it was just audio, and this time uh, we got we got the video rolling. <laughs> uh, I'm not I'm not much to look at, so the, the audio was advice <laughs> for most people. I always joke around with my wife before one of these recordings. I was like, who decided to do video? <laughs> i got to comb my hair and... <laughs> Yeah, get all looking place. nice before we hop on but um uh, it was great to see you last year after, after we had our episode together uh, you were out this way ministering and, and came by australia is good seeing you and reconnecting after a number of years yeah it was good to be back it's hard to believe i've been there uh, three times mm. they've all been very spaced out my first trip was 2009 april of 09 and then uh Haley and our firstborn, Carson, he was our only child at the time, came back in September of 2012. We attended Turning Point on that trip. That's right, yeah. And then, uh, so yeah, it had been a decade. And uh, yeah. I was I was glad that worked out. I was able to be there last fall. It's uh, I tell people everywhere I go, I'll get asked, you know, what's your favorite place to travel or the most beautiful city you've been to? And there are many, but... 
Sydney is just, it's an incredible city. Yeah, it really is. Do we still, are we still up there even after your recent trips? Was that your first time? I saw you went to Israel recently. Was that your first time there? I did. It was my first time. I was actually scheduled to go in April of 2020 and Mm. COVID canceled that. Uh, But the Lord knew, and uh, that was actually going to be a a, uh, smaller kind of ministry focused trip. This uh, trip I went last month was with a, a tour group that my pastor led. He's done several trips over the past decade or so. And so it was very neat to go with him and some some of the staff from our local church and a few other pastors from America. But yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. One I would definitely recommend. I was telling somebody recently, I've never been uh never been overly interested in Bible geography. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's just not my forte, you could say, but being there kind of piqued my interest. It, it caused me to kind of consider the stories of scripture and the the path the people walked in a whole different perspective. And even just to be able to read the Bible now and just you close your eyes and you think, okay, I, I've been here. This is what the terrain looks like. Oh, this is what the Sea of Galilee looks like and the, the areas surrounding it. It was, it was a very neat experience um, in that regard. Uh, there were other points that if I was speaking plainly, I would say were a little disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's elements of it that though the history is so rich and certainly even significant to us, the modern presentation of it is so commercialized. Yeah, I thought um, that might be the case. And then... You know, some of it is commercialized just by, I would say, the secular tourism industry. And then you have other components that are really under the control of the Catholic Church. And so it has a very, uh, the presentation is very wrapped up in the world of Catholicism, which uh, I appreciate that they're honoring the history and, and that they've put in the work to kind of maintain the presentation of that significant story. Uh, but you know, some people will probably crucify me for saying it, but I, I was just a little bit taken back, you know, at, at how commercialized it had become. Uh, but it was still very, very, uh, very worthwhile, amazing experience. It definitely put a new, uh, a new lens or perspective on on reading the scripture. Yeah, I, I could imagine it would be a bit like that. that. That's sort of been my hesitation. I did really enjoy the photos that you posted, you're, you're posting photos and, and then describing, you know, maybe referencing a text or talking about, you know, what actually took place. I, I think mm-hmm. you even had one of like the Valley of Elah, which was really yeah. cool. Um, so the, that, that part I think I would love, but as you mentioned, uh, you and I are quite similar in that regard, I, yeah. like the birthplace of Christ and that sort of thing where they've got churches <laughs> on top and, or yeah. like where he was crucified, that sort of thing. One thing Pastor said as we you know went through a lot of sites, he said obviously, you know they're claiming this that the uh, the church is his birthplace. We we have no way of knowing if that <laughs> little plot of land that church sits on <laughs> yeah. is where he was born. But he said what we do know is we're in proximity. Right, Israel is a very small place. These cities and towns in Israel are very small. Uh, they've been preserved, you know. So we know when, when we're in Bethlehem, you know, we're in proximity to where this happened. And I do think proximity brings perspective. Uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I read a Mark Batterson quote years ago. I think it may have been in his first book, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day, uh, I think. But I've never forgot this quote. He said, a change of place and a change of pace equals a change of perspective. And so that works two ways. One, you know, you, you can take that quote and be an advocate for a vacation. So, you know, you need to disconnect. You need to get out mm -hmm. of the, the field that you labor in and you need to slow down because there's a change of perspective that comes with that. But it's also uh, true on the other end when we go to a conference and we're wearing ourselves out for two or three days with service after service and meeting after meeting and in one sense, it's almost overwhelming, too much to take in. But that change of, of place and the change of pace mm -hmm. causes you to have a change of perspective. And so, uh, you know, that to me, that statement was certainly fulfilled in Israel. I mean, it was a, it was a leisure trip in the sense it was a, a tour group, uh, but we kept a pretty, pretty avid pace. We saw a lot of things. There was a lot of historical and biblical context given at each stop. And, you know, I come away from that experience. And I think, you know what, this, this has given me a perspective. Hmm. Um, you know, I've read these stories. Obviously, I know where Israel is on a map. But really, the, the progression of the story and how things unfolded in the country. And you mentioned the Valley of Elah. Just, you know, when you're standing there in the valley and you're looking, you know, at the hill on the left and you think, okay, this is where the Israelites were and the hill on the right. This is where the Philistines were. And you just, you close your eyes and you think, okay, I've read this story. I've preached this story, but I'm standing where this happened. Yeah. Um, now I can't take you to the field, you know, the spot in the field where he cut the head of Goliath off, but proximity you're, you're in this little valley and so just the perspective, it, it just brings so much life uh, to the scripture, especially if you're mm. a visual person, which I am. I'm not an auditory uh, learner. I'm really a visual guy. And so when I read my Bible, it's, it's like a movie in my mind. Mm. I'll visualize the story in my mind. And so for me to be able to be in these places and actually have an accurate depiction of the landscape and the, the lay of the land, it was it was a neat experience. Yeah, that's cool. And I could probably talk to you about that and spend the rest of the time talking <laughs> about that <laughs> but uh, in some of your other travels. But we got you on to talk to us about spiritual warfare. We, we discussed this a little bit while uh, while we were in Sydney together and, and you had talked about that, that you're actually in the process of maybe fleshing out this and putting into some sort of uh, book one day. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, if, if you've thought that much about it <laughs> and it's a, it's a worthwhile topic to discuss, it'd be great to have you on the podcast to talk about it. So if you wouldn't mind just uh, in introducing the subject, um, basically, you know, how would you define spiritual warfare? And then we'll go from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I guess for me, it's always been a, a personal topic because there, there are things the Lord taught me in the process of life and ministry, really in 10 years of church planning. Uh, these were things that I lived and the Lord began to personally teach me. And uh, as I began to share my lived experiences and the revelation the Lord was giving me from Scripture, as I would travel and minister, 
you know, I could see the the blessing of it as it as it helps some people. And even last year in particular, over the course of I think four or five months, I had shared some of this uh, or some of the things the Lord had showed me about spiritual warfare. And uh, I try to present it from a more practical standpoint, and I'll come back to that later. But after sharing it, uh, a few different settings last year, I had three different people come to me, different areas of the country, no connection, and say, have you ever thought about putting this in a book? Hmm. Which, you know, somewhere in the back of my mind, I have thought about that. Years ago, I told my wife one day I'd like to write a book, but I don't want to do it out of ambition, like earthly ambition. I don't want to do it to just say I can write a book. If I'm going to invest that time, I want to make sure the Lord has released me to do it, that there's an audience who needs it and that uh, it'll meet a legitimate need. And so I kind of started fleshing some things out. I, I've still not done much uh, much more than that. I kind of have themes to, to, to discuss, some chapter ideas, some potential content for those chapters. I've, I've not done a whole lot more than that. Uh, I just want it to be a God thing, I guess. Is, mm. And I know that can sound cliche, uh, but I guess here's my, here's my gauge for that. I look at some of the, some of the men that the Lord has allowed me uh, to be connected to. And I think, why have you not read a book? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, like, exactly. You know, I look at Pastor Harpole and I'm like, well, if my pastor's not written a book, with the wealth of knowledge and experience and insight he has, you know, who am I? And I know that <laughs> there's a lot of other factors that go into that, but all that to say, I just, it, when it comes time for me to, to dive in and complete that project, I want to make sure it's, it's God saying do this and not just Dan McLeod wanted to do it because Dan McLeod wants to write a book. Yeah. Um, but it is a personal, a personal topic to me because of what we've lived, and what I've experienced and what the Lord uh, taught me. So, you know, to say what it is, I think simply, you know, spiritual warfare is a war in the spirit. Mm. You know, it, it causes us to consider the unseen reality. It, it, it can manifest itself in multiple ways. And in a most extreme scenario, I think spiritual warfare can manifest itself in your physical body. Um, I think obviously it can manifest itself uh, through spiritual manifestations, but the most common, and in my opinion, the most, uh, if I could say maybe even the most neglected in, in study and discussion is the more practical component, which I would say is its influence on the arena of your soul. So your mind your will, your emotions. So some context, here is what I began to observe. And the Lord allowed me at different points to uh, connect or, or receive from men who have tremendous authority in the spirit and have some very profound supernatural experiences. And I believe in that, but, but here's an observation I would offer after you know, 15 years of ministry, I began to observe almost what I would call an infatuation 
among our movement and preachers and conferences with mystical or supernatural stories. Now, let me qualify it because I don't want to be labeled as the carnal guy here. Uh, I believe in that. I have some of those experiences. But the men who have uh, my mo- the highest level of respect for me and who I've been privileged to, to sit with and share in some of their experiences, when they tell them, there's almost a cautiousness. But I observed in the younger demographic, uh, the men that I speak of would probably all be uh, 50 plus, 60 plus. But I began to observe in the younger demographic, this infatuation with the supernatural or the, or the mystical. And I believe in that. One of my first experiences with the spiritual manifestation, I was a Bible school student. And I got a call from a pastor's son where I had preached that weekend to come with him to the house of a saint in the church. And I had no idea what I was about to walk into. But when I walked through that lady's door into the kitchen of her house, her 16-year-old granddaughter was hanging over the back of her dining room chair. And I knew as soon as I walked in, I knew immediately this girl's possessed. But I had never in my life experienced anything like that. I've heard stories, but I'd never seen anything like it. So, you know, a naive Bible school student, what do you do? Well, you just do what you hear in the in the stories. And I've heard people say when somebody's possessed or a devil was manifesting, you know, they would say, you know, what is your name or try to confront it or get the identity of this demon. So I get right down at this girl, right at eye level. I kneel down and I look her in the eyes and I say, tell me your name. And as God is my witness, when as soon as I said that, she went from hanging over the back of that chair to coming probably two feet off that chair into the air and her body hit the floor like she had been slammed by a grown man. And she begins convulsing and her body, it's hitting the floor, but from head to toe, she's, it's like withering like a snake. Mm. And I, I've heard stories, but I had never experienced anything like that by my life. That's the first time. Now, there's been a few others uh, like that, but the majority of the spiritual warfare in my life, and I would, I would venture to say the life of most believers, does not go to the, that dimension or that manifestation. So, but what I began to observe was if you get up on a platform, you go to a conference and you tell that story, oh my, people love it. Yeah, yeah. And there's almost a a perception that to tell that story implies that I walk in some dimension of spiritual authority. Mm. It it almost could be used to validate me. (laughs) And I began to observe this and I was just within my own spirit trouble because I knew the battles that we had been encountering in the process of church planning and our own spiritual growth. And while those experiences are real and while they do happen, that is not the everyday reality. And so I began to see this disconnect while there was a, an awareness of spiritual warfare, I would say a a hunger for the supernatural uh, I saw this disconnect that so much of what the scripture had to say about spiritual warfare uh, 
in the reality of, of day-to-day living wasn't being addressed. And so for me, in, in, the, in the combination of my experience and my study, the Lord really began to show me things about uh, daily spiritual warfare and the understanding that is necessary to walk in victory. Because you can go to a youth camp, you, you can go to a, a church conference and you can tell that story, get everybody excited. We're going to conquer the devil. We're going to speak in tongues. We're going to run the aisles. I believe in all of that. I think we need to keep on doing all of that. But you can leave that emotional experience and enter back into the daily reality of spiritual warfare even the most spiritual among us, the men who walk in the greatest dimension of spiritual authority I've ever met, they're not, they're not fighting de- a manifestation of a demon every day mm. of the week. Yeah. Uh, so what I began to observe was, was this reality and, and that trouble in my spirit. The Psalms, there's a scripture that says, the Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. Mm. Uh, perfect means to bring about to completion or a process of maturity. And so anytime there's a troubling in your spirit, if you direct that to the Lord, it's going to open a stream of revelation and instruction where God begins to teach you, give you insight and bring you to a place of maturity. So in that, uh, this is what began to happen. The Lord would begin to speak to me and give me some understanding about how I could walk in daily victory. Mm-hmm. And I begin to share this. And so uh, I don't think it's something that we overlook as a whole. But I think the, the more pressing reality in, in this daily living component we do overlook. So a scripture. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. I think, uh, as you said, I, I think it when we talk about spiritual warfare, we go straight to the manifestations that you're talking about, we're talking about, um, I was just thinking about when it's discussed, typically it's an event like that, or maybe someone uh, taking dominion over a city or uh, uh, having an encounter with, with an angel or, mm-hmm. you know, with, with, uh, with a fallen angel. And, um, and yeah, the practical side of it is not really discussed. That's sort of like just lumped into prayer. Yeah, uh, but there isn't like a uh, um, an unpacking of that, which I'm excited to talk to you about here today. It's uh, so, so you know. Let's consider Second Corinthians chapter ten. Um, you're talking about spiritual warfare. This is kind of a what we could say a candy stick scripture. Everybody's familiar with. Um, Paul says for the weapons, uh, sorry, verse three, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Here's what he's saying. Our experience in this present world is through this fleshly body. It's where we live. We walk in the flesh. So what he's telling now, keep this in the context of spiritual warfare. What he's saying is we're going to feel the reality of spiritual things in this natural body. So that could be physically, it could be a sickness, but it could also be uh, just mentally in in the organ of the brain, in the thoughts, in the disruption of emotion. 
We walk in the flesh, but as quickly as he brings the understanding, he says, we do not war after the flesh. If I could say it this way, you feel the symptom of it in your flesh, but you cannot respond out of your flesh. So let's take weariness, for example. There could be a weariness you feel in your natural body because you had a hard day at work, because you stayed up too late, because you're not eating healthy. That's not spiritual warfare. That's just that's just the reality of, of a bad schedule or poor discipline. Yeah. But there could be a weariness that you feel that is a, a result of a spirit that is attacking you. We know this in Daniel, the Bible talks about the spirit of the Antichrist. It would seek to wear out the saints of the Most High. So as we do the work of the kingdom, the reality is that there is a, a spirit that can come against us that brings a, a spirit-initiated weariness. Now, I need the discernment to know, is this a weariness that's just coming because I'm not sleeping like I need to and I have poor disciplines? Or is this a spiritual conflict? Because if it's a spiritual conflict, even though I'm feeling it in my flesh, I don't respond in my flesh. Hmm. So That's a weariness good. that comes from the spirit, I'm not going to beat that with a good night's sleep. Hmm. I'm not the, the only rest that can deal with that kind of weariness is the rest of God. Hmm. You, if, it, if the source of this is the spirit, meaning a, a demonic spirit, then the only answer for it is the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul is saying. But now he goes so much beyond this. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And so he's saying we're not fighting with earthly things. We don't, we don't conquer this with, you know, vegging out and, and just chilling and watching a movie. You don't conquer this with a vacation. You're not going to overcome this because you go out and buy a new suit. You're not going to beat this because you go have a good night with friends. No, it's our weapons are not carnal. And so, again, he's directing us back to this fact that if the conflict originates in the spirit, even though you're feeling it naturally, your weapon has to originate in the spirit. It's mm -hmm. not carnal. Now, verse, uh, sorry, he goes on, he says, but we're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Again, consider the imagery that, that he's giving us here. If I'm going to pull something down, where do I have to reach? I have to reach to the top. Yeah. I could knock it down from the bottom, but it, to pull down gives me the visual imagery that I'm extending upward. And now he, he's talking about strongholds. This is an old military word. Literally, it, it's a stronghold. It's a hold or a fortress that gives me a strong hold on the land. Hmm. When a military would come in and conquer a territory, uh, they could expel the enemy. They could decimate a city. I mean, they could conquer the land. But if they withdrew all their soldiers then somebody else would just move in and occupy that land. And so the point was, uh, when they had destroyed a city, when they had conquered a land, they would set up strongholds, almost mm -hmm. like little fortresses, military camps, to maintain a presence which allowed them continued influence in that region. 
So right. what Paul's saying is through the power of the spirit, if we're using the right weapons, we have the ability. We're mighty through God to pull down these strongholds that allow demonic influence in areas of our lives. Now, verse five, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Three things he says here. He uses the word imaginations. He uses the word knowledge and he uses the word thought. All three of these words direct us to one place, the mind. What's Paul doing? Paul's telling us where the stronghold exists. Yeah. Well. Now, in ancient culture, in a in a carnal battle, that stronghold is a physical fortress in the region that the enemy is occupying. But in the realm of the spirit, this stronghold is a thought pattern. It's a way of thinking that is demonically influenced, doesn't mean you're possessed of the devil, but it means you're being influenced by fallen spirits to think in a certain way that would allow the enemy to have influence over your mind, your will, and your emotions. Because if he can control you there, he can start controlling a whole lot more. It'll Mm. change how you see things. It'll change how you speak. It'll change how you act. But it starts right here. Now, Uh, even consider the order of what Paul says. Now, remember, he said, pulling down. So in your mind, visualize the imagery of a fortress wall. This is the stronghold. I'm going to pull it down. I've got to reach to the top. My hands are extended. I'm going to pull this down. And now let's consider the order of the words that Paul writes in. First, it's the imagination. And as I'm pulling down, then it's the knowledge And as I'm getting lower, it's the thought. Now, the destruction of this stronghold is from the top down. But the construction, the enemy's construction of the stronghold is from the bottom up. Right. When you go to build a a structure, they don't suspend the roof and then put a foundation under it. They lay the foundation. They frame up the walls and they put the roof on. So even though Paul begins with the imagination at the beginning of verse five, that's because he's describing from the top down. Mm. Let's consider this from the bottom up to see how it's built. Well, it starts with a thought. That thought becomes knowledge, which is logic or a way or pattern of thinking, which eventually becomes an imagination. Mm. So a thought now, You've probably heard the the old statement that uh, you, you can't control if a bird poops on your head, but you can decide if you let it build a nest or not. <laughs> yeah, and the, the the humorous expression to convey the fact that you can't control every thought that enters your mind, but right. you can control what you do with that thought. Yeah. So if if the enemy seeds a thought into our mind, this can come from a, many different ways. It could come through uh, spirit-inspired imagery. And I'm not talking about the spirit of God here. Much of the imagery in our world today is inspired of a spirit, not of God. Mm. Marketing, 
media, movies, advertising, a lot of this is, is carrying. You've got to remember in, in this ancient culture that we that we study of in the time of scripture, uh, they would bow before literal idols. Yeah. They would sacrifice before physical idols, statues and images that were made. This this was the tale of the three Hebrew boys. They refused to bow to this idol. Well, nobody's sacrificing in the context of the ancient culture. We're not bringing animals to bow before statues. But friend, our culture, we, we think we have evolved, but we, we are shelling out money. We, our sacrifice yeah. at the altar of imagery everywhere we go. That's such a good point. And what's, you know, Paul talked about, they sacrificed to demons. Well, they were sacrificing to a physical idol, but mm-hmm. the principle was behind every idol, there is a spirit. And so we have to have this awareness that because we're interacting with this very image driven world in the 21st century, there are going to be thoughts that are inspired in our mind, but they're not inspired of God. And we have to have the discernment. We have to be walking in the spirit enough to know, is this of God? If it's not, at that moment, at the recognition of a demonically inspired thought, I have to take it captive to the obedience of Christ at Mm -hmm. that moment. Because if I don't, that thought becomes a way of thinking. And that way of thinking becomes an imagination. Well, what is an imagination? An imagination is something that's not real, but you live or act as if it is real. As if it is, yeah. And being a father, you you would know this. You know, I've got three sons, and the older they get, everything in our world teaches them to stifle the power of their imagination. Mm-hmm. But my four-year-old, my eight-year-old, he's still there, but he's starting to come out of it. And I almost hate watching it, but you give them certain toys, certain objects, and through the power of their imagination, they go into another world. They don't know anything about fighting. He's never been a ninja. He's never used a sword. He's not a power ranger. He's never saved the world, but he's running around the house. He's playing in the backyard. His imagination has taken him into another world. It's influenced his actions, how he sees himself, what he says, what he does. This is what Paul's saying. But Paul's not talking about it in a positive light. He's saying there are demonically inspired thoughts that if you don't take captive, become a way of thinking that becomes an imagination. The root of imagination is image. It literally becomes an image in your mind and you become conformed to the image. You see it in your mind and you start to conform your behavior. That's why in Romans 2, he's talking about be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You literally, that word renewing means to renovate. You've got to tear that out and start putting the right thing in. Mm. Because ultimately how you live your life is dictated by what's happening right here. And I, I think a lot... I think a lot, not to interject, no, you're there, good. but I, I think a, a lot of it has to do with just, and, and I'm even thinking of myself as well, because we live in a world that has taught us that the spiritual world no longer exists. It mm-hmm. was something that was created by 
people who didn't have knowledge, who didn't have understanding, we can sometimes walk through life and not attribute things to the spirit realm where we should be. Yeah. And we just think that it's it's just, you know, part of life. Yep. And in, in actual fact, you know, there's interactions that are taking place. That's a great point. Well, I was just in uh, a couple different countries in the Middle East last month, and one of the gentlemen I was talking to, we were talking about just the reality of spiritual things, but how that's perceived in different cultures of the world. And he said, you know, the the Western world has been educated out of spirituality. Mm-hmm. And he said, now they have swung the pendulum the other way that their openness to spirituality is on. It's very dark. You look at a lot of the, the media, the movies being produced in America, there's an openness to dark spiritual things. Yeah. There is. But that void was because they were educated out of the reality of good spiritual things. Mm. So we're sitting at a Starbucks here in this, in this country, in the middle East and, He says, you know, in this area of the world, it's not uncommon for somebody to say to you, I feel you. Mm. Now, if somebody said that in America, what they would mean is I've put my hands on you and I felt you. I felt what your shirt felt like. And I felt you. That's not what he meant. He meant that someone in that culture, because it's a very spiritual culture, would say, I feel you. They're not meaning they put their hands on you. They feel your spirit. Uh, even, you know, one of the big things now in in Western culture is, you know, people have an energy about them. You know, this mm-hmm. kind of very humanistic, new age terminology, it's their spirit. You're, right. you're feeling their spirit. And this is what discernment is. Discernment is... The gift of discernment is like a spiritual radar. It's your ability to feel another spirit and to discern what is that? What is its purpose? What is it? Now, the Lord may not always give you all that information, but he may allow you to discern, is this of God or is it not? What is the objective of this spirit? Uh, You know, a, a practical example that this was a, a pivotal you know, experience for me a couple of years ago, I'm driving with a minister friend through uh, the city of Indianapolis. It's about two 30 in the morning. We were had about a five hour drive back to where we were going. And uh, the GPS takes you the quickest way, not necessarily the most comfortable or safest way. So it's like two 30 in the morning. And we end up driving through an area of the city that it just, it feels uneasy. Now, I have not seen anybody. There, there's nobody out on the street. There's no cars. It's the middle of the night. We're by ourselves. It just feels uneasy. I'm driving down a street. The light turns red. I come to a stop. As I'm sitting at the red light, this car pulls out of a parking lot, and he's sitting behind me at the red light. I look up in my rearview mirror, and I look back, and we make eye contact. He's looking right in my rearview mirror, and I'm looking. We make eye contact. And the moment we make eye contact, this presence of fear completely overtakes me. Mm. It, now, 
this is all happening in a matter of seconds. But fear overtakes me. And these thoughts start going through my mind. He's going to rob us right now. What if he gets out of his car with a gun? What, what if I die right here? My wife and kids are in Europe. I may never see it. I'm talking within seconds. All these thoughts are running through my head. So one thought, one feeling that I didn't, I discerned it properly. I knew it wasn't of God. Fear is never of God. But I didn't deal with it properly. Mm. Now that single thought or emotion has become a way of thinking that's producing an imagination in my mind. It's like a movie scene in my mind that, that I'm allowing the devil to create this thing in my mind. It's not going to happen. But if he can do that, it stifles the power of faith in my life. It keeps me from walking in the spirit. Uh, so as this is happening, literally, I'm talking three, four, maybe five seconds is how quickly this is happening. The man in the car with me, I've not vocalized any of this. This is all internal. The man sitting next to me in the passenger seat says to me, do you feel that? I said, feel, feel that. Yeah. Now, I've not said anything that I've thought. And he says to me, that's a spirit of fear. Hmm. So exactly what had come to me, what I had been internalizing, he identified. The Lord used him to confirm. So the Spirit's teaching me right now. Right. And I understood, okay, I'm discerning this, but now I need to deal with it. When, when, when that comes to me, when that thought... now. See, we just think that this stuff is random. We just think, oh, whatever. No, we're interacting with the spiritual world. The uns this is spiritual warfare, and it's every day. It's mm. everywhere. We interact with it when we're walking into to grocery stores and marketplaces and places of employment, because not only does each one of those people have a spirit, but... There are spirits that live in geographical territories that are seeking to work through people and structures and systems. In Daniel 10, the Bible talked about uh, how the prince of Persia withstood the angel of God. So what, what he's telling us is there was a spirit that resided in that geographical territory that resisted the work of God. Mm. So th this is the awareness that we have to have. I believe in manifestation, but I don't think we have to go look for it. What I have observed is this. I think the devil's primary tool is deception. Yes. I've heard people say, you know, why don't we see some of the, the manifestations in America that you would see in third world countries? Well, I think we've been educated out of spiritual things is one component. But I think the other thing is because the Western world has become so analytical, uh, we've become uh, mind-driven. We're, we're too smart to be spiritual. I think because of that, uh, we are not as open to those spiritual things. And knowing that, I think that the enemy's primary tactic has become deception. Mm. And so it's, it's a, de a deception of the mind. 
Now, I know when we use the word deception in an apostolic context, we're often talking about a deception that leads you away from truth in terms of the new birth, the oneness of God, holiness. And while that's true, bring this into the context of this conversation. There's a deception about your identity, about God's plan or purpose for you. There's a a deception that deceives me into thinking that this guy is going to get out of the car and take my life. Mm. You know, it's a deception, not necessarily just of truth in terms of the word of God, but truth in terms of my identity and the plan of God. And so there is a deception, which I think is the enemy's primary tool. Now, when you expose the enemy, knowing he works in darkness, if I could walk into a dark room and I have no ability to perceive my environment, I'm at a disadvantage. But when the Lord gives me revelation or when I'm operating in the light of God, that light shines into the darkness. Now, what was once hidden is revealed. The Mm -hmm. enemy is at an advantage in the darkness. But when that light exposes him, he can no longer operate in deception because I've exposed him. Now his, his tool will be, in my, my opinion, one of two things typically. He'll seek to bring chaos and distraction or he'll seek to bring some form of opposition. Uh, this is the arena where sometimes we may see a more uh, demonstrative manifestation. And a lot of times, uh, you know, I've been advised from elders in some of my travels, if there is a manifestation, the reason that the enemy is doing that is to bring a means of distraction. Mm. And so if the devil shows up in the middle of a church service, when there's a great move of God and people are about to be born again, I'm not going to shut all that down and put the attention on the devil. I'm going to take that person. I'm going to escort them, have somebody remove them from the service. They can be dealt with separately, and we're going to let God do what God wants to do. So the principle right. is this, is that when there, when there is an extreme manifestation, it's typically because the enemy knows he's been exposed. Yeah. You've disarmed him, and now he's simply trying to distract you by this extreme opposition, this, this manifestation that brings chaos and disorder. So it's, as you can tell, it's something I I, I can ramble about for a while. Oh, man, we we could talk about this for hours. Uh, I I do want to try and focus your thoughts just for a few minutes before we we finish this up. Um, All this information is amazing. And, and, you know, you've opened up my eyes to, to things that, you know, ways that I've been living that has sort of maybe looked past, um, uh, spiritual warfare is taking place on a day-to-day basis. And, and you've already touched on it a little bit as to pulling down strongholds, dealing with capturing thoughts. Is there any other uh, ways that you would suggest that a Christian becomes engaged in spiritual warfare so they're not sitting on the sideline deceived and yeah. they're not just wandering through through life? Well, I would say everybody is engaged in it already. Mm. Uh, the awareness of that is the first step is coming to the realization that these things that I feel, these thoughts that are entering into my mind, it's not just Dan McLeod. It's the spiritual world I'm interacting with. Uh, 
Now, this could look very different depending on where you live. And that I mean that in the sense of the country, the city, even the area of a city you live in. Because as I referenced Daniel 10, there are spirits that reside in geographical territories. Uh, this is why, you know, if we were in Sydney and I said to you, hey, can you take me to the, uh, the really wealthy area of the city? That area comes to mind immediately. You know right where you're going to take me. If right. I say, Greg, could you take me to, uh, you know, take me to uh, the, the poor area, area stricken by poverty or homelessness or take, take me to an area uh, where there's a lot of drug activity or prostitution. I mean, these areas come to your mind. Now, we often perceive them through the social or economic lens, but let's, let's peer past that carnal reality. Why has it taken on that identity? It's taken on that identity because there is a, a prince, there's a spiritual stronghold that has created a way of thinking that governs that geographical territory that is demonically influencing minds and behaviors and creating a system of bondage that people can't be free of. And I thank God for, for social programs and government assistance and all that stuff. It has its place, but ultimately the only way that spirit is going to be broken, that stronghold can come down is by the church being the church and, and expanding its territory. So let's, let's make it personal here. As I go about my business, I'm already engaged in spiritual warfare everywhere I go because I'm feeling things from individual people. I'm feeling things in the atmosphere, the spiritual atmosphere of the street I live on, the subdivision I'm in, the city I'm in, the state or the country I'm in. So the first step is having that awareness, not just an, a, a carnal awareness, but I want it to be a discernment. Mm. Now, Ultimately, and we won't go way down the road today for the sake of time, but you've got to be walking in the spirit, which comes from your God connection. You've got to be a, a man or a woman of prayer. You've got to be in the word. This, this has got to be your filter. David said, that word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So this word is like a filter. Now, as I go about my business, there's things that are going to try to enter into me that have to pass through the filter of the word and the spirit. And when that happens, discernment, it's like a radar, like doo -doo 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 -doo. it's going to start going off. And that's the Holy Ghost saying, this isn't me. Mm. This isn't me. That fear, that's not me. That anxiety, that's not me. That stray thought, that's not me. So you've got to take it captive. How do you do that? You, you have to take it captive. You have to say, no, this is not God. And I'm not going to dwell. You, you've got to replace it with the right thoughts. You've got to meditate on the scripture. You've got to quote scripture. You've got to speak the name of Jesus. You've got to call on the name of the Lord. Uh, this, is, this is walking in the spirit. Mm -hmm. And so I think that awareness, uh, a second layer of that, and I think this a practical a tip here would be, you may have to start journaling this. But one way the Lord may give you uh, greater revelation or increased knowledge for the sake of your own life, or even for those you might minister to, is if you start develop, uh, seeing patterns develop. You mm -hmm. may notice every time you go to a particular area, something happens. You may notice that uh, 
you know, when you have interactions with people from a particular area of your city that uh, they, they continually, people from that area seem to battle the same thing. Uh, you know, I had a man tell me many, many years ago when we went to start the church in, in Halifax, he said, you need to get a map of your city. And when the Lord starts to connect you with new people, you need to identify on the map where they live. Because he said, it's likely that when you start to see a harvest from an area of the city, it's likely that people in this area of the city may battle something people in this area of the city do not. It's because there's a stronghold in that in that area. Uh, now, it could be that the Lord would speak to me and just say, this area of the city is bound by this stronghold, but he may not. It could be that the Lord gives me those layers of information or revelation through my my leadership or, or pastoral role in shepherding people who are under the influence of that spirit. Uh, and so I think that's that's where journaling can come in. Uh, just just taking note of things, you know, for example, uh, the street I live on here in the city we're in. Uh, just yesterday, my wife was getting ready to go to the church. She was leaving early because she was teaching a life group. And I walked out to move my truck so she could get her vehicle out. And when I walked out, uh, I heard uh, across the street, a few houses down, people yelling. I couldn't make out what one of the voices was saying, but I could hear a woman's voice, high-pitched, crying, screaming, help, 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 help. And uh, people were coming out of their houses. And so I grabbed my phone and called 911. And you know, eventually the police showed up. Now, I want to peer past that, that physical altercation and whatever was happening. I don't know the details. I can take you to areas of this city where the likelihood of that happening is probably less. Now, I'm not saying it never happens, but it's certainly less because mm -hmm. the families are more well-to-do, more structured. There's more stability. I don't live in the terrible area of the city, but it's not like some other areas of the city. So that is now on my spiritual radar. It's on my radar that there, there's a spirit working somewhere in the vicinity of where I live that was bringing discord in that home and was seeking to cause conflict and harm. So what am I doing? You know, I, I'm going to take it to prayer. And I, I'm going to plead the blood of Jesus over this street. I'm going to walk up and down the sidewalk in my street and we're out there walking the puppy. And it's going to be more than taking a puppy for a walk. I'm going to cast that out. I'm going to take authority over that. I'm going to speak the peace of God over my street, over the homes on my street. I'm going to pray that the Lord will put an openness in their heart to receive us and the one who sent us. And so there's going to be experiences you have like that. It could be a conflict with somebody at work. It could be an experience at a grocery market. I would say don't dismiss those. Take note of those because that is your God-granted interaction with not only that person or that physical environment, but there's a spiritual reality at play that through those experiences, the Lord is opening your eyes to what you're touching in the spirit every day. Mm. And so I think that there's an awareness. There's, and with that awareness, 
take note of repeated experiences and document them somewhere. Uh, because typically it's line upon line, layer upon layer. And if the Lord is showing you something, it's probably twofold. One, he's showing you for your own life so you can walk in victory. But two, he's showing you because uh, more than likely he's going to grant you an opportunity of ministry to somebody who's battling the thing which he's given you insight or authority over. That's good. Well, uh, this has been a tremendous discussion. I, I really enjoyed having you on and, and talking about this subject. And I think I might have to bring you back on once once the listeners hear this and and um, get a taste of what we talked about here today. I think uh, I think it it'll be worth another discussion if I can uh, take your time on another day. But yes, uh, thank you so much for for what you have given to us here today. Uh, even just for myself, I'm very grateful for for the revelation that you have you have shared uh, over this last hour. Um, as we wrap up here, is there anything else that you would like to leave us with uh, as we finish up? And thanks again for your time today on the podcast. I don't think I have anything more to say, but I would like to, if it would be all right with you, to pray just for everyone who will hear this. Yes, please. Thank you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are, God of all power and victory. I pray for everyone who will hear this podcast, everyone who will watch it online. Without question, Father, there will be those who are battling in their mind and in their spirit. I pray as they hear the principles of the word that you have taught me through study and experience, that the eyes of their understanding would be open, that you would grant them the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that they would walk in victory. I pray every lie of the enemy that has been spoken and taken hold over their mind will be broken right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray they would see themselves as you see them, that they would rise from the ashes of defeat and despair, that the hopelessness that has settled in their spirit would be broken right now. I pray peace and joy would enter into their mind and their heart again. May the atmosphere of their home be one of love and kindness. May there be an abounding hope that rises in their spirit right now. Everything the enemy has used against them, we bind its influence right now in the name of Jesus Christ. I loose the perfect love of God into their mind, their heart, their soul. I pray, Lord, that you would cleanse them from every wicked thing the enemy has seek to attach to them. I pray, Lord, that the power of the Holy Ghost would become real to them. I pray, Lord, that revelation would come, that it would not only be in this moment, but in the days, the weeks that follow, for each one who will hear this, let them walk in this revelation. Let them walk in the power of Your Spirit. Let it not only be for us, but for those we interact with. I pray, Lord, that You would help us use this understanding and this knowledge and this power to bring deliverance to the captive, that the blind could see and the deaf could hear, the kingdom of God would come, and that many would be born again. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, and we give you praise. Amen.